Well, hello and welcome to the Bended Bottle Podcast. This is your host, Travis Poisel. And uh, if you don't notice, Mike Sisko's not here today. And uh, the reason he's not here is the poor guy is sick. And uh, I'm going to do it alone. So, uh, yeah, we do wish him a very speedy recovery. And we know he wants to be here because he has lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of opinions. And I know Mike likes to start off every episode with an antidote or a sane and uh i'm not really good with antidotes or sayings but i'm gonna give it a shot um if you're looking for a change you're looking for a big step forward it really obviously starts with you but it also starts with the people you put around yourself so don't put yourself around a bunch of assholes all right well i hope everyone had a good christmas and i hope everyone has good safe plans for uh new year's um luckily for me and mike we have the weekend off or off Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. It's crazy that we get so much time off. But we do take advantage of it. And we have a lot of fun with people around us. And uh, just as you guys know, I had a great Christmas, a great Christmas weekend. I mean, rough weather. Uh, I know I, guys, I told you guys last week, and Mike brought it up. I had big plans for Friday, but they got rescheduled to Monday. It just wasn't worth it. I mean it was it was bad out and uh you know no one should risk just to have you know a little get together a little party it's not worth the risk at all but uh we redid it on monday i gotta tell you i had a blast um i know we couldn't spend a lot of time but uh either way we gotta spend some time together and my kids enjoyed it uh she enjoyed it to my knowledge and uh it was great and then uh I know Mike had a good weekend. I'll let him tell you about it. Uh, he should be back next week. If not, you're going to get just me again. And I'm hoping we I do the justice and uh, this becomes a really good show. But like I said, it's going to be it's going to be rough because well, it is just me, so we're going to power through this. Uh, what I saw from what Mike told me, he had a really good time. But, uh, you know, I do have a few things I want to talk about, so we might as well get to it. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard about what's going on. Well, I'm pretty sure everyone's heard about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. But uh, Ukraine's ready to talk peace. Russia's ready to talk peace. They want to negotiate. And, of course, uh, Ukraine has, you know, they're asking for Russia to be... Uh, tried on war crimes, which you know they probably committed some war crimes, but I'm pretty sure Ukraine probably committed some war crimes too. But uh, you know they're looking at uh, trying to get something, you know, negotiated or mediated by the United Nations. You know, one of the most, besides every government in the United in the world, probably one of the biggest corrupt uh, governing bodies of whatever. Of, you know this new world order I'm assuming that's what they are but the, the United Nations they are unbelievably corrupt so why not have a corrupt state like Ukraine decide no let's get another corrupt body in to negotiate in uh, you know in what they call a fair deal and you know they Russia has their you know what they want in the go neither one of them have very good ideas when it comes to uh, how to end this war and Putin's made it very clear. He'll just completely... He'll just keep going at Ukraine. But the thing is, the United States is going to continue to just 
throw money and money and money at it because we're a bunch of corrupt pieces of shit. Well, our government is. They're such pieces of shit, and they don't, and they're they're never gonna stop, ever gonna stop. Because it, you know, this all this is is just it helps them get reelected, make them look good in the world, and look good to their you know piece of shit leftist friends. Was Ukraine's going to do nothing for us? But you know, it's it is what it is. But uh, this is from the foreign minister of uh, Ukraine. I do assume it's from Ukraine. But every war ends in a diplomatic way. Every war ends as a result of actions taken on the battlefield and at the negotiating table. This is from Foreign Minister Dimitro Kula. The United Nations could be the best venue for holding this summit because this is not about making a favor to a certain country, which is bullshit. If it's, he is totally looking for favor in this. But Cuba also said Ukraine would do whatever it can to win the war in 2023 during the same interview. Which because they're going to still uh, get U.S. support, get NATO support, which we shouldn't be supporting. Uh, the statement came a day after a Russian television station aired an interview with President Vladimir Putin. Who said while his government has been open to holding peace talks, Kiev has refused. Uh, Putin said, we are ready to negotiate with everyone involved about acceptable solutions, but that is up to them. We are not the ones refusing to negotiate. They are. The Russian president stood by his decision to invade Ukraine, which he has said was part of an effort to denazify Ukraine, which, you know, just like the Biden administration, by saying the right is a bunch of uh, Nazis, uh, they do the same exact thing with uh Everyone uses it. Because using Nazis, using these horrible, horrible people is definitely the best way to go after uh, people you don't like. Because that automatically gets people pissed off one way or another. Automatically pisses people off. So it's like, why not continue to push that Nazi narrative? Because if you can't win the battle on the, on the battlefield, you're going to win the battle in the social wars. And honestly, that's where... The United States fights their wars is on on the social areas. Because that's how Democrats get elected. But, you know, let's continue. The Ukraine's foreign minister disputed Putin's statements regarding his government's willingness to negotiate to end the, the ongoing war while speaking to the AP. They, the Russians regularly say, regularly say they are ready for negotiations, which is not true. Because everything they do on the battlefield proves the opposite. You're at war. It's like, okay, man, what do you want? What do you want Russia to do? They're at war. They're trying to take you over. They're going to fight a war that you just said. You just said, you know, it, wars are ended on the battlef- battlefield and on the negotiating table. So why can't it happen with both? It's see, it's just like it's just like Joe Biden. It's just like any politician in the United States talking on both sides of their mouths because at the end of the day, they're still they're all corrupt pieces of fucking garbage, and. Cuba's peace talk suggestion was not immediately amplified by the UN, by the UN, as the Secretary General has said many times in the past. He can only mediate if all parties want him to mediate. Uh, the, the said Florencio Florencia Soto Nino Martinez, a spokesperson for the collective, on December 26th. And it's funny that they call the UN the collective. It sounds like a pretty left you know left-wing term left uh, extremely left 
While presenting, at, while presenting at the G20 summit in November, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky presented a 10-point peace plan. So here's the thing. He has a plan already set in place, and the chances are that corrupt motherfucker isn't going to back off of that if not all 10 points of those of uh, that plan is met. So the chances are either Ukraine's going to be absolutely demolished or this is going to be one of the longest wars we have seen in probably our lifetime. Uh, we can, As he continues, Ukraine has always been a leader in peacekeeping efforts and the world has witnessed it. Bullshit. And... If Russia says that it supposedly wants to end the war, let's prove it with actions. His plan includes steps to ensure food security, energy security, the withdrawal of Russian troops, and cessation of hostilities, the protection of the environment, the release of prisoners and deportees, and the implementation of the UN Charter. Sorry if I completely butchered that word. But... You know, he's trying to talk peace, but then he goes, gets a bunch of missiles from the United States, gets a bunch of other stuff from the United States, gets a bunch of money from the United States. I'm pretty sure Russia feels absolutely threatened. And uh, so, you know, what What exactly is Russia supposed to think about what Ukraine's doing? And again, on the other note, what is Ukraine supposed to think about what Russia's doing? It's, it's a no-win situation for anybody involved. And then... On top of it, they expect us to get involved. And it's not a war the United States definitely should be in. It's absolutely, absolutely disgusting. So, there was a financial summit. And, of course, Ukraine, you know, one of the most corrupt countries we've ever, you know, ever, ever been a, heard of or been a part of or in the world. He joined the International Peace or International Financial Summit. And let's read what this has to say. Zelensky and Fink held a video conference meeting as a follow-up to months of of the work between BlackRock Financial. If you don't look, if you don't know BlackRock Financial, look them up. They're unbelievably left-wing, left-wing, and they definitely put a lot of influence and a lot of financial backing against everything to destroy every, that what America stands for. They're unbelievable. They take people's money and uses you pretty much uses it against them. Um, the two leaders agreed to focus on coordinating the efforts of all potential investors and participants in the reconstruction of our country. So the thing is, they're going to take money from people that didn't even really want to invest in Ukraine. But Ukraine's going to take all the money. What, the billions and billions and billions of dollars the United States have already poured into that country isn't enough financial stability in itself? I'm pretty sure we probably have already like quadrupled what they typically have in that country. It's absolutely disgusting. Um, channeling investment into the most relevant and impactful sectors of the Ukraine economy. BlackRock manages roughly $8 trillion in client assets. Client assets. Not their assets, clients. And is listed as, as an organizational partner of the WEF. And met with the leadership of Ukraine in September 2022 to discuss how to drive public and private investment into Ukraine. Basically, they're just going to steal your money and give it to you. Now, that's the kind of Ukraine's thing. We've shown that we know how to win on the battlefield, which if you've shown you can win on the battlefield, you've won by now. And another important task for us is to achieve victories in the economy as well and be an attractive country for investors. You will never be an attractive country. You are, you're unbelievable. You steal people's money 
And what are they getting in return? You go to war, you give it to the Biden crime family? You guys are fucking a joke. Officials say that Zelensky emphasized that Ukraine is seeking to attract global capital, create new jobs, and facilitate the growth of the country's economy. The investment attractiveness of our country is particular importance. Is of particular importance. It is important to me that a structure like this be successful for all parties involved. We are capable and we want to restore a normal investment climate. Zelensky said his country will be participating in the next WEF summit in Davos, where officials will present Ukraine's future prospects to the global community, per a statement from Interfix. See, they're trying, you know, this war that's going on, and heck, no one even knows there's actually going to be Ukraine when this is all said and done. And they're already looking to take your money. Because what's going to happen when, they, when the war isn't done? Or they don't win the war. Where's all that? Are, they, is, are these investors going to get their money back? Of course not. You know who's going to have it? Zelensky. It's going to sit in his pocket. He's going to use it for whatever he wants. Because at the end of the day, he's a piece of crap. Just like almost every Ukrainian leader. They're all garbage. Almost every single leader in the world is, is absolute, you know, absolute pieces of shit. I mean, look at Joe Biden. I mean, this guy... <clears throat> He's lucky if he doesn't shit himself as soon as he wakes up. I mean, he is. Uh, they're all unbelievable. I mean, and we're and then, like we were talking about with our with the budget last week. You know, they're going to keep pushing all this money into these areas. And does the United States get any return on it? Hell no, we don't get a return on it. We'll never see a return on any of this. But uh, I just want to bring up Ukraine just to give you that little, a little bit of something that. I saw uh, I saw this morning. I saw not too long ago. Like I said, there's gonna be a lot of uh, gonna be a little bit all over the place. I don't really hit the structure that I had or the things I had to talk about. You know, we're definitely with Mike, so I'm gonna do my best. And uh, I don't know. I do have so I do I did get a great a great suggestion with the, the true crime that's gonna be coming up. And uh, hopefully it's good. I think it's good. This guy is a nutbag. And I can't wait to bring him up. The guy's name is Edmund Kemper. I don't know if you haven't seen Edmund Kemper. They have made a ton of stuff about this guy. This guy was so sadistic. I'm telling you, when I was researching him and everything, there is so much, so much about this guy. And actually, I think about getting, because normally Mike wants to, you know, when he's with, he'll come at me with a bunch of things. I'll come at him. But I got no one to, to come at. I even had a suggestion to put his picture in front of me. And then basically look at it like I'm talking to him. That was hilarious. And uh, she, that was great. She was, that cracked me up. She's been a big, big help, big support. And I do appreciate, do appreciate everything she does. All right. Well, I guess, you know what? I guess I won't wait because this is like a 15 page. This guy's done a lot. And uh, like I said, this might not be a long episode. And uh, I don't even know if it sounds good. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I hope it sounds good. Uh, I don't have a lot. I, it's been a rough. It's been a rough day. It's been a. It's been a rough couple of days. Um, only one person knows what happened to me yesterday. I'm not gonna bring it up on here, but only one person knows. It was rough, real, real rough. Um, I got home real late last night. It was a struggle, and uh, I'm. All, I'm definitely gonna be working some things with my health. Uh, it was definitely scary. Definitely very, very, very scary. Uh, it was, it's something that I don't wanna. I don't really want to talk about too much on the podcast, but if uh, 
if I didn't have the person I have that's become a real good friend, um, I don't know. It had been, it had been a really rough night for me last night. Uh, and it's something I don't want to deal with again. And, but I'm, but I felt it come on to me today, uh, this morning because I was getting definitely a little stressed and it doesn't help. You know, it's, even when I try to not talk about it, I have a lot of people come at me think I'm like I'm instantly in a bad mood or uh, I'm not having a good day no it's just I'm trying to process what's going on with my health and trying to process it to where I'm not I'm not going to get myself overstressed and uh, it's something I'm trying to learn I'm trying not to let it affect me but it's going to take a big big you know a big change and I'm already working on a change I already started the slim down I'm telling you I am hungry. <laughs> That's all I can say is I am hungry. But it's going to be worth it. I think it's going to be really worth it. I'm, I'm, I think I was at like 217. I want to get myself down to about 180, 185. I think that's a comfortable weight. And plus, you know, getting those pounds off is going to make me feel a lot better too. And don't get me wrong. I'm a very positive person, very optimistic. But, you know, there are things that do get to me. Um, I, have high, I do have a lot of stresses. Um, I, but I also have a lot of ambitions. I also have a lot of goals. And uh, I try to hit those goals. And I try... It's not so much... I'm not really out here to impress people. Uh, I mean, it's cool if you are impressed by me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll take it. Because, like I've always told people my entire life. I mean, you're never going to be anyone better than me. Because I am the best. But, no, it's just something that, uh, you know... I have a lot going through my mind, and uh, I'm just I'm just happy to be where I'm at today. And uh, I'm what can I say? I, I was just really scared last night. That's, but honestly, obviously, I'm not going. I don't want to get into great detail. It's uh, really not that interesting. But I do want to give a, a big thank you to one person, and she knows who she is. Uh, I like Mike. I'm not going to just start blurting out names nonstop. But she's been real helpful, and actually has kept me calm, which I appreciate a ton. Uh, has helped me keep my stress level down uh, quite a bit actually is more more than she can possibly imagine uh, has kept my stress level down tremendously even in the past you know what month and a half that uh, that we've talked uh, I can but I can say though yeah a few things have crept in and what can I say I'm human you know I, I wish I can say I'm perfect I wish I can say I do everything right and I make all the right decisions but no one does. Um, but uh, I, unlike most people, I do strive to be a lot better than I was the day before. And even that's hard. Even that's hard. But I do work real hard at it. Uh, but no. So if you hear me struggling, hear me going back and forth, not really sure 100%. You know, that's pretty much why. I mean, I do have a lot. I do have a feel. There's a lot going on. and Just me. Uh just me with my health and nothing else I mean personally personally I'm gonna be honest with you I couldn't be in a better place personally I feel I feel very happy I'm always I feel much I feel like I'm in a better place but I uh, know I just want to tell as one the one person I know she's gonna listen you know thank you thank you for being who you are and thank you for being awesome but anyways back to back to the show well I guess this is a show part of the show Mike and I get really personal a lot but uh, no, it's been. But I hope everyone is uh, having a good day. I hope everyone's ready for the new year. Because I'm telling you, 
it's going to be a good year, 2023. I mean, come on now. It can't be any worse than what we've had. You would think it can't get any worse. And it was even better. We're getting closer to no more Biden in office. You cannot ask for anything better. All right. So we're going to get to it because we might want, I might want to talk about this guy a little bit after I get done with him. But we're going to talk about this guy, Edmund Kemper. Edmund Emil Kemper III, born, ninth, born December 18th, 1984, uh, is an American serial killer who murdered a total of 10 people, including a 15-year-old girl, as well as his own mother and her best friend from May 1972 to April 1973. Following his parole for murdering his paternal parent, grandparents, Kemper was nicknamed the co-ed killer as most of his victims were female college students hitchhiking in the vicinity of Santa Cruz uh, County, California. He stands at a height of 6 feet 9 inches, and most of his murders included necrophilia with some incidents of rape. Born in Burbank, California, Kemper had a troubled upbringing. His parents divorced in early life as a child he moved to Montana with his mother Clarinelle who kept Kemper locked in her in their basement which had been frequented by rats he ran away uh, ran he ran away to reunite with his father but he had but he had remarried around Christmas in, of 1963 sent Edmund to his paternal grandparents in North Fork, North Fork California it was there in August 1964, at the age of 15, that he that he murdered them. Following the murders, Kemper was briefly di- diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia by court psychiatrists and sentenced to Estrado State Hospital as a criminally insane juvenile. Released at the age of 21, after convincing psychiatrists, he was re- rehabilitated. The 6'9 Kemper was reportedly regarded as a non-threatening by his future victims. He targeted young female hitchhikers during his killing spree, luring them to his vehicle and driving them to secluded areas where he would uh, murder them before taking their corpse back to his home to be decapitated, dismembered, and violated. Kemper then murdered his mother and one of her friends before turning himself into the authorities. Found sane and guilty at his trial in 1973, Kemper requested the death penalty for his crimes. Capital punishment was suspended in California at the time, and he instead received eight concurrent life sentences. Since then, he has been incarcerated at the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. Notably, Kemper and Herbert Mullen overlapped in their 1972-1973 murder sprees, adding confusion to police investigations and ending with both being arrested within a few weeks of each of each other after the deaths of 21 people. Edmund Emil Kemper was born in Burbank, California in 19, December 18, 1984. He was a middle child and only son born to Clarinel Elizabeth Kemper and Edmund Emil Kemper Jr. Edmund Jr. was a World War II veteran who, after the war, tested nuclear weapons at the Pacific Proving Grounds before returning to California where he worked as an electrician. Clarnell often complained about her husband's menial electrician jobs. Edmund 
Edmund Jr. later stated that suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell, and that she affected him more than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front did. Weighing 13 pounds as a newborn, Kemper was head was a head taller than his peers by the age of four. Early on, early on, he exhibited antisocial behavior, such as torture of insects and cruelty to animals. At the age of 10, he buried a pet cat alive. Once, once it died, he dug it up, decapitated it, and mounted, it to, mounted his head on a spike. Kemper later stated that he derived pleasure from successfully li- lying to his family about killing the cat. At the age of 13, he killed another family cat when he perceived it to be favoring his younger sister, Alan Lee Kemper, over him. He kept pieces of it in his closet until his mother found them. Kemper had a dark fantasy life. He performed uh, rites with his younger sister's dolls that uh, culminated in his removing their heads and hands. On one occasion, when his elder sister, Susan Hughley Kemper, teased him and asked him why he tried, why he did not try to kiss his teacher. He replied, "If I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. He also recalled that as a young boy, he would sneak out of his house and, armed with his father's bayonet, go to his second-grade teacher's house to watch her through the windows. He stated in later interviews that some of his favorite games to play as a child were gas chamber and electric chair, in which he asked his younger sisters to tie him up." and flip an imaginary switch. He would then tumble over and writhe on the floor pretending that he was being electrocuted by gas, executed by gas inhalation or electric shock. He also had close to death experiences as a child. Once his elder sister tried to push him in front of a train and another time she she successfully pushed him into the deep end of a swimming pool where he almost drowned. Jesus Christ. Kemper had a close relationship with his father and was notably devastated when his parents divorced in 1957, causing him to be raised by Clarinel in in Helena, Montana. He had a severely dysfunctional relationship with his mother, a neurotic, domineering alcoholic who frequently belittled, humiliated, and abused him. Clarnell often made her son sleep in the locked basement because she feared that he would harm his sisters. Regularly mocked for his large size, he stood six foot four by the age of fifteen and derided him as him as a real real weirdo in a phone conversation to Kemper's father. Unaware that her son had been eavesdropping, she also refused to show him affection out of fear that he she would turn him gay, and told the young Kemper that he reminded her of his father and that no woman would ever love him. Kemper later described her as a sick, angry woman, and it has been postulated that she had borderline personality uh, disorder. At the age of 14, Kemper ran away from his home in an attempt to reconcile with his father in Van Nuys, California. Once there, he learned that his father remarried and had a stepson. Kemper stayed with his father for a short while until the elder Kemper sent him to live with his paternal grandparents who lived in a ranch in the foothills of Sierra Nevada on road 224 about two miles about two miles west of the town of North Folk North Fork Kemper hated living in North Fork he described his grandfather as senile 
and said his grandmother was constantly emasculating me and my grandfather. On August 27, 1964, at the age of 15, Kemper was sitting at the kitchen table with his grandmother, uh, Maud Matilda Hughley Kemper, when they had an argument. Enraged, Kemper stormed off and retrieved a rifle that his grandfather had given him for, the, for hunting. The rifle had been confiscated because he used it to needlessly shoot animals. He then re-entered the kitchen and fairly shot his grandmother in the head before firing twice more into her back. His, gr- his grandmother's last words probably were, Oh, you better not be shooting the birds again. Some accounts mention that he, she also suffered multiple post-mortem stab wounds with a kitchen knife. When Kemper's grandfather, Edmund Emil Kemper Sr., returned from the grocery shopping, Kemper went outside, fairly shot him in the driveway next to his car. He was unsure of what to do next, so he phoned his mother, who told him to contact the local police. Kemper did so and waited to be taken into custody. After his arrest, Kemper said that he just wanted to see what it felt like to kill Grandma and testified that he killed his grandfather so he would not have to find out that his wife was dead and that he was angry. He would be angry with Kemper for what he had done. Psychiatrist Donald Lundy, who interviewed Kemper during adulthood, wrote, In his way, he was... He had avenged the rejection of both his father and his mother. Kemper's crimes were deemed incomprehensible for a 15-year-old to commit, and court psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. He was sent to Estrado State Hospital, a maximum security facility in San Luis Espiro County that houses mentally ill victims. At at Estrado, I mean, I wish I could say that, California Youth Authority psychiatrists and social workers disagreed with the court psychiatrist's diagnosis. Their reports say that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, and no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. They also observed him to be intelligent and introspective. Initial testing measured his IQ at 136, over two standard deviations above average. Kemper was re-diagnosed with less severe condition. A personality trait disturbance, passive-aggressive type. Later on in his time at Estrado, he was given another IQ test, which gave a higher result of 145. Kemper endeared himself to his psychiatrist by being a model prisoner. He was trained he was trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. So a psychiatrist later said, He was a very good worker, and this is not typical of a sociopath. He really took pride in his work. Kemper also became a member of the, of the JCs while, the, while there, and claimed that to have developed some new tests and some new scales on the Minnesota multifaceted personality inventory, specifically an overt hostility scale during his work with uh, with, the, with psychiatrists. After his second arrest, Kemper s- said that being able to understand how these tests functioned allowed him to manipulate his psychiatrist, meaning that he learned a lot from the sex offenders to whom he administered tests. For example, they told, they told him that to avoid leaving witnesses, it was best to kill a woman after raping her. On December 18, 1969, on his 21st birthday, Kemper was released on parole. August 
Against the recommendations of psychiatrists at the hospital, he was released into the care of his mother, Clarnell, who was remarried, taking the surname Strandberg, and then divorced again in uh, Apatos, California, a short drive from where she worked as an administrative assistant at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Kemper later demonstrated further to a psychiatrist that he was re rehabilitated and on November 29, 1972, his juvenile records were permanently expunged. The last, last report from his uh, probation psychiatrist read, If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we were dealing with a well-adjusted young man who had an initiative intelligence and who was free of psychiatric illnesses. It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation. Now I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be any, be of any danger to himself or any member of society. And since it may allow him to more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent uh, expunction of his juvenile records. While staying with his mother, Kemper attended community college in accordance with his parole requirements and had hoped to become a police officer, though he was rejected because of his size. At the time of his release, Kemper stood 6 foot 9 inches, which led to his nickname Big Ed. Kemper maintained relationships with Santa Cruz police officers despite his rejections from joining the force and became a self-described friendly nuisance at a bar called The Jury Room, a popular hangout for local cops. Kemper worked a series of menial jobs before gaining employment with the State of California's Division of Highways. During this time, his relationship with Clarinel remained tox toxic and hostile, the, the two having frequent arguments at, that their neighbors often overheard. Kemper later described the arguments he had with his mother around this time, stating the following. My mother and I started right in on the horrendous battles. Just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go to fist with a man, but this was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted on it, just over stupid things. I remember one roof right razor was over whether I should have t uh, my teeth cleaned. When he, when we say, when we, oh man, when he had saved enough money, Kemper moved out to live with his friend in Almedia. There, he still complained of being unable to get away from his mother because she regularly phoned him and paid him supervised visits, or surprise visits. He often had financial difficulties, which resulted in his frequently returning to his mother's apartments, apartment in Alpatos. At a Santa Cruz beach, Kemper met a student from Turlock High School to whom he became engaged in, 19, in March 1973. The, the engagement was broken off after Kemper's second arrest, and his fiancée's parents requested her name not be revealed to the public. The same year that he began working for the highway division, Kemper was hit by a car while riding a motorcycle that he had recently purchased. His arm was badly injured in the crash, and he received $15,000, equivalent to $91,000 in 2021. In a settlement in a civil suit, he filed against the car's driver. As he was driving around in, his, in the 1969 Ford Galaxy, he bought with 
part of his settlement money, he noticed a large number of young women hitchhiking and began storing plastic bags, plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his car. He began picking up young women and peacefully letting them go. According to Kemper, he picked up around 150 such hitchhikers before he, before he felt homicidal sexual urges, which he called his little zapples, and began acting on them. Jesus. Between 1972 and, 19, in April, and April 1973, Kemper killed eight people, all women. He would pick up female students who were hitchhiking and take them to isolated areas where he would shoot, stab, smother, and, or strangle them. He would take their bodies back to his home where he decapitated them, performed your martial on their severed heads, and had sexual intercourse with their corpse, and then d- d- then dismembered them. Jesus, what is wrong with this guy? During the eleventh mo- during this eleven month murder spree, Kemper killed five college students, one high school student, his mother, and his mother's best friend. Kemper stated in his interviews that he often searched for victims after having arguments with his mother, and that she refused to introduce him to women attending the university where he where she worked. He recalled she would say. You're just like your father. You don't deserve to get to know them. Psychiatrists and Kemper himself have espoused the belief that young women were surrogates for his ultimate target, his mother. On May, on May 7, 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley when he picked up two 18-year-old hitchhiking students from Fresno State University, Marian uh, Peschke and Anita Marie uh, Lukiza with the pretense of taking them to Stanford University. After driving for an hour, he managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Almedia, Almeida, with which he was familiar from his work at the highway department. Without alerting his passengers that he had changed directions from where they wanted to go, it was there he handcuffed Pe- uh, Pesky and locked uh, Lukiza in the trunk, then stabbed and strangled Pesky to death subsequently killing uh, Lakeisha in a similar manner. Kemper later confessed that while handcuffing Pesky, he brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts and it, embarrassed it, and it embarrassed him. Whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that, after gazing her breast, despite murdering her minutes later. <laughs> what the fuck? Kemper put both of, the women bodies, both of the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford uh, Galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by police officers for having a broken taillight, but the officers did not detect the corpse in the car. Kemper's roommate was not at home, so he took the bodies into his apartment where he photographed and had sexual intercourse with the naked corpse before dismembering them. He then put the body parts into the plastic badge which he later abandoned near uh, Luma Prita Mountain. Before disposing of Pesky's and Lukiza's severed heads in the ravine, Kemper in, in, engaged in Romashio with both of them. I wonder if that's him having sex with the with the, their heads. The, in August of that year, Pesky's skull was found on Loma Pita Mountain. An extensive search failed to turn up the rest of Pesky's remain Pesky's remains or or a trace of Lukiza's. On the evening of September 14, 1972, Kemper picked up a 15-year-old dance student from named, oh sorry, a 15-year-old dance student named Akio Ku, 
who had decided to hitchhike to a dance class after missing her bus. He began to drive to a remote area where he pulled a gun on Koo before accidentally locking himself out of his car. However, Koo let him back inside despite the fact that the gun was still in the car. Back, in, back inside the car, he proceeded to choke her unconscious, rape her, and kill her. Kemper subsequently packed Koo's body into the trunk of his car and went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks, then returned to his apartment. He later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the, the trunk of his car, admiring his catch like a fi- fisherman. Back at his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse, then dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar manner of his previous two victims. Ku's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter, but Anne put up hundreds of flyers asking for information, but she did not receive any responses regarding her daughter's location or status. In January 7th, 1973, Kemper, who, I mean, who, yeah, Kemper, who moved back in with his mother, was driving around the uh, Carbarillo College campus when he picked up 18-year-old student Cynthia and Cindy Shaw. He drove, he drove to a wooded area and fairly shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. He placed her body in the trunk of the car and drove to his mother's house where he kept her body hidden in the closet and in his room overnight. When his mother left for work the next morning, he had sexual intercourse and removed a bullet from Shaw's corpse, then then dismembered her and decapitated decapitated her in her mother's bathtub. Kemper kept Shaw's severed head for several days, regularly engaging in sex with it, then buried it in his mother's garden facing upward toward her bedroom. After his arrest, he stated that he did this because his mother always wanted people to look up at her. He discarded the rest of Shaw's remains by throwing them off the cliff. Over the course of the, of the following few weeks, all except Shaw's head and right hand were discovered and pieced together like a, a macabre or pieced together like a jigsaw puzzle. A pathologist determined that Shaw had been cut into pieces with a power saw. On February 5, 1973, after a heated argument with his mother, Kemper left his house in search of possible victims, with heightened suspicion of a serial killer preying on hitchhikers in Santa Cruz area. Students had been advised to accept rides only from cars with university stickers on them. Kemper was able to obtain a sticker as his mother worked at US, UCSC. He encountered 23-year-old uh, Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen. And Allison, Alice, Helen, Allison, Lou, on UCSC campus, according to Kemper, Thorpe enters car first, reassuring Lou to also enter. He first fairly shot Thorpe, and then Lou with his pistol and wrapped their bodies in blankets. Kemper again brought his victims back to his mother's house. This time, he beheaded them in his car, and carried the headless corpse into his mother's house to have sexual intercourse with them. He then dismembered the, the bodies and removed the bullets to prevent identification and discarded the remains the next morning. Some remains were found in Eden Canyon a week later. Um, more were found near Route 1 in March. When questioned in, in an interview as why he decapitated his victims, he explained, The head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, you know the head is where everything is at, the brain, eyes, mouth. That's the person. 
I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. <laughs> Jesus. On April 20th, 1973, after coming from home from a party, 52-year-old Clarnell Sandberg awakened her son with her arrival. While sitting in her bed and reading a book, she noticed Kemper enter her room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Kemper, Kemper replied, no, good night. He then waited for her to fall asleep, then he sneaked back into her room to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a penknife. He then decapitated her and engaged in sex with her severed head and then used it as a dartboard. Kemper stated that he put her head on the shelf and screamed at it for an hour, threw darts at it, and ultimately smashed her face in. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break down the tough vocal cords and, e and ejected the tissue back into the sink. That seemed appropriate as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over the years. Kemper hid his mother's corpse in the closet and went to drink at a nearby bar. Upon his return, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor uh, Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. When Hallett arrived, Kemper strangled her to death to create a cover story that his mother and Hallett had gone away together on vacation. He subsequently put Hallett's corpse in the closet and obscured any outward signs of disturbance and left a note to the police that read, At approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday, no one need to hear her suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep the way I wanted it. No sloppy, inco incomplete gents. Just a lack of time. I got, th I got things to do. Afterward, Kemper fled the scene. He drove nonstop to Pueblo, California, taking caffeine pills to stay awake for over a thousand miles, uh, a thousand mile journey. He had three guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car. He believed he was the target of an active manhunt. After not hearing any news on the radio about the murders of his mother and Hallett, when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a phone booth and called the police. He confessed to the murders of his mother and Hallett. But the police did not take his call seriously and told him to call back a later time. Several hours later, Kemper called again, asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. He, conf he confessed to that uh, officer of killing his mother and Hallett, then waited for police to arrive and take him into, into custody. Upon his capture, Kemper also confessed to the murders of six students. When asked in a later interview why he turned himself in, Kemper said, The original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or, or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it any longer. Towards, toward, the, toward the end here, toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of what, whole da what the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just, wanted, I just said to the hell with it and called it off. Kemper was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder on May 7, 1973. He was assigned the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County Attorney Jim Jackson. Due to, due to Kemper's explicit and detailed confession, his counsel's only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. 
through the charges. Kemper twice tried to commit suicide in custody. His trial went ahead on October 23, 1973. Three court-appointed psychiatrists found Kemper to be legally insane. One of the psychiatrists, Dr. Joel Fort, investigated his juvenile records and diagnosed that he was one psychotic. Fort also interviewed Kemper, including under truth serum, and relayed to, and relayed to the court that Kemper had in, engaged in cannibalism, legend, allegedly that he sliced flesh from the legs of his victims and then cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. Nevertheless, Fort determined that Kemper was fully uh, cognizant in each case and stated that Kemper enjoyed the prospect of infamy associated with being labeled a murderer. Kemper later recanted the confession of cannibalism. California used the McNaughton standard, which held that for a defendant to establish a defense on the ground of insanity, it must be clearly proved that, and at the time of committing the, of the acts, the party accused was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of mind and not to know the nature and quality of the act he was doing, or he did not know it that he did not know he was doing what was wrong. Kemper appeared to have known that the nature of his acts was wrong and he was shown signs of malice afterthought. On November 1st, Kemper took the stand. He testified that he killed the victims because he wanted them for himself like possessions and attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on reasoning, that his actions could have it could have been committed only by only by someone with ad, adherent mind. He said that two he said that two beings inhabited his body, and that when the killer personality took over, it was kind of like blacking out. On November eighth, nineteen seventy three, the six man, six woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all counts. He asked for the death penalty, requesting death by torture. However, with a moratorium placed on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven years, seven years to life for each count. What? How would you only get seven years for murdering people? With these terms to be served concurrently, and was sentenced to the California Medical Facility in, in Vacaville. In the California Med uh, Medical Facility, Kemper was incarcerated in the same prison block as other notorious criminals such as Herbert Mullen and Charles Manson. Kemper showed particular disdain for Mullen who committed his murders at the same time and in the same area as Kemper. He described Mullen as a, just a cold-blooded killer, killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Kemper manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen who was at 5 foot 9 inches and was a foot shorter than him. Kemper stated that Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when somebody tried to watch TV. So I threw water on him to shut him up. And then he was a good boy. I'd give him uh, peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. This That was effective because pretty soon he asked permission to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment. This guy's a freaking nut. And he's smart. Jesus Christ. Kemper remains among the general population in the prison and is considered a model prisoner. He was charged of scheduling other inmates' appointments with psychiatrists and was an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups. 
He was also a pro- prolific narrator of audiobooks. In 1987, the LA Times article stated that he was the coordinator of the prison's program and had personally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books with several hundred completed recordings to his name. Kemper was retired from these, posi- from these positions in 2015 after he experienced a stroke and was declared medically disabled. He received his first rules violation in 2016 for, for, provi- for failing to provide a urine sample. While in prison, Kemper was, has participated in a number of interviews, including a segment in the 1982 documentary, The Killing, The Killing of America, as well as an appearance in the 1984 documentary, Murder, No Apparent Motive. His interviews had contributed to the understanding of the mind of serial killers. FBI profiler John Douglas described Kemper as among the brightest prison inmates he's ever interviewed and capable of rare insight for violent crime. He further added that he personally liked Kemper, referring to him as a friendly, open, sensitive, and good sense of humor. What is wrong with these people? I don't understand. I don't understand what they're thinking. Kemper is forthcoming about the nature of his crimes and has stated that he participated in interviews to save others like himself from killing. At the end of of his murder, no apparent motive interview, he said, there's somebody out there that is watching this and hasn't done that, and hasn't killed people, and wants to, and rages inside and struggles with the feeling, or is so sure that they have it under control. They need to talk to somebody about it, trust somebody enough to sit down and talk about something that isn't a crime. Thinking that way isn't a crime. Doing it doing it isn't just a crime it's a horrible thing it doesn't know when to quit it can't be stopped easily once it starts he also conducted an interview with French writer uh, Stephen Borgen in 1991 Kemper was first eligible for parole in 1979 what? it's so early for parole Jesus what is wrong It's, it's California makes sense he was denied parole that year as well as as well as parole hearings in 1980, 81, and 82. He subsequently waived his right to a hearing in 85. He was denied parole in 88, where he said, Society is not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. He was denied parole again in 91 and 94. He waived his right for a hearing in 97 and in 2002. He attended his next hearing in, 20, in 2007, where he was again denied parole. Prosecutor... Uh, Adrani Simmons said we don't care how much of a model prisoner he, prisoner he is because of the enorm- enormity of his crimes Kemper waived his right to a hearing again in 2012 he was denied parole in 2017 and the next time he's eligible is in 2024 they really need to just put the guy to death but that ladies and gentlemen is Edmund Kemper wow all I can say is wow I've never that was a good one. I'm glad I was recommended that. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, I gotta tell you that the fact that they he he killed his grandparents and he got released because he learned how to fool the psychiatrist. Shows sure how dumb the psychiatrists are, and how he was able to get out to kill again. And and what I've noticed, what I have noticed about a lot of these uh, killers that we've been reading into, looking into. 
a lot of them really is is how they were brought up and the people that brought them up some of these people have lived horrible absolutely horrible lives and uh, I mean it's no excuse it's no excuse and you know it's obvious that our justice system has, again it's very obvious the justice system has failed us and the way California is going and the way they look now in 2022 this dude might get released in 2024 we never know let's hope not well, guys, I know this was a really short episode. Um, like I said, I just wanted to get something out there, let you guys know we're still there. And uh, if you want to send Mike any uh, good well wishes, you can always contact him on Facebook. You can con- we'll just contact him on Facebook. It's much easier. He'll see it. Because uh, I can't remember his email off the top of my head. And I won't do what he did. I won't say the word email because I actually do know that one. But uh, no, I do appreciate you guys listening. And uh, again, I hope you guys have a great New Year's. And I'm Travis Poizel, and I'm out.